0: Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Hey, for those of you who were with us last week, we took a one-week pause. We have been studying through the book of Genesis. We actually just started a few weeks ago. And last week, we took a one-week pause to talk about revival and to remind ourselves that we can sometimes get to the point that we are dry bones And we need the Spirit of God, Ezekiel 37, to bring new life, that's what the word revival means, into dry bones. Thanks for being with us last week, and for those of you who were praying and fasting this week, this past week, thank you. We're back in Genesis, and I want to catch you up in where we left off, Genesis chapter 2. We are reading a picture of what it looks like when heaven and earth are the same place, Now, Genesis chapter two is before there's any evil, before there's any sin, God created a garden and literally that's where we get the word paradise or heaven from. Today we're going to pick up where we left off. So Genesis chapter two, the beginning of the chapter is heaven version 1.0. What's waiting for us at the end of the age is heaven version 2.0. And theologians, I just created a new word there, theologians. Theologians say that where we're living right now is heaven 1.5. It's the now, but the not yet. Like Jesus came to bring heaven down to earth in the hearts of his people, but you don't have to look very far around you to realize this place that I live in is far from heaven. Would anybody agree? There's messed up relationships. There's problems all over the world. And if this is supposed to be a glimpse of heaven, well, I'm not sure I want to go. And what I'm telling you is that this world that we live in, the relationships that we experience, even our relationship with God can get broken from time to time. Today, the Bible is going to describe what it looks like to live where heaven and earth are one. And I need you to pay attention, church. Look up here for a second, because if you go all the way to the end of the Bible, God is going to restore what we're reading today. In fact, heaven literally is on earth. When God comes down and dwells on earth for eternity with people and fixes this mess that we now live in, but we're far from that moment, all of us would have to agree with that. And I want to describe heaven in terms of relationships today. In fact, if you really want to know where I'm going with the the sermon, I'll just tell it to you right up front. So you got it right there. And if you're, you're super busy and you got to leave, you can just leave after this right here. Here it is. Only heaven has perfect human relationships. Now, when I added the word perfect, I just made it impossible for us to describe what what's going on around us. Here's what I'm saying. You can work really hard and try to develop a better relationship with a friend, with a spouse, with a coworker, with somebody in your family, and you should work at it, but it's never going to be perfect. The relationship that we have with this earth itself, it is far from perfect. Even our relationship with our creator in heaven is not exactly perfect right now. If you were to think about it, sometimes we sin and it impacts our relationship with our creator. We're estranged from God. Those earthquakes that you read about in Turkey that killed 50,000 people, it's just a wake-up call that this place that we live right now on this planet is far from perfect. And your relationship with your friends, I don't even need to know who they are to know those relationships are far from perfect. So when I say perfect human relationships on this screen, I'm talking about no problems whatsoever between you and God. No problems whatsoever between you and this earth that we live in. No problems at all between you and the other people that are important to you. Is anybody in this room, does anybody want that moment in your life? Because that's what the scriptures are going to describe for us today. This moment where earth, heaven, our relationships, our relationship with God, they're in perfect harmony with one another. And it's what Jesus came to bring to us. So let me try to walk you through Genesis chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we were two weeks ago. We're going to start in just a second in verse uh, 15, and it's going to describe for us what this was like for Adam for a few brief moments on earth. Don't know how long this period lasted. What it was like when Adam had perfect human harmony, and I'm going to surprise you by telling you, did you realize that there was rules? There was work. He even had a responsibility to watch over stuff, the While he was still here on earth, while things were still perfect and sin had yet to enter the equation. Genesis chapter 2, let's pick up where we left off. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. If I were to stop right there, I could spend an hour just on this first sentence. It's loaded with really, really important ideas that you need to have with you about what heaven is going to be like. I don't have an hour to go over this first sentence, so we're going to have to hit this at a run. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, if we were to just kind of take a half step back at this point, there's a few things that you might want to ask about this passage in Genesis chapter 2. First question, why is there a tree in the middle of the garden that I can't eat from? Why are there rules? This is the first time that the word commandment or command from God shows up in the Bible, and we're only in the second chapter of the Bible. Why is there a command? If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's classic children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, you gotta ask the question, why is there a lamppost in Narnia by this point? And obviously, God is giving Adam Total unlimited freedom and only one rule. And I heard a pastor from Texas say, can we just be honest here, y'all? This is not complex ethics. Adam, you can do anything. You can have anything. You can eat anything except for one rule. Just don't break this one rule. And you don't even need to write, read the Bible for a few more verses to know. Guess what's gonna happen if you give a child one rule and tell him don't break this rule. Guess what the child's gonna do? Exactly. So there's a tree. The Bible describes it as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the middle of the garden, and God says, Adam, I'm giving you total freedom. There's only one rule. Just don't eat from this tree. And by the way, I'm commanding you, Adam, the day that you eat it, you will die. Now, can we just be honest for a second? Does this feel like the punishment doesn't really fit the crime here? There's a death penalty for eating forbidden fruit? Like that seems really, really severe, God. Why is this such a big deal? And it's not just the fruit. It's not just what the tree represents. It's actually God giving Adam the opportunity to obey, giving him the opportunity to disobey and disobedience, any form of disobedience from God. It's labeled as sin in the Bible. And the punishment for sin, the way that the book of Romans writes this is the wages of sin is what? Anyone sins, one sin, one time, we all deserve. What Genesis says is supposed to happen. If you disobey me, just don't disobey me. That's the one rule. Now, when I've read this passage countless times, I've focused on the fact that Adam has a job to do in the garden, like he does work. Did you know, fun fact, that that word work that God gives Adam to do, that word gives Adam dignity. It gives Adam purpose. It gives Adam meaning while he's in the garden. Here's what I'm saying. The people that just sit at home, watch TV, and suck off of the government and do absolutely nothing, I could preach about that for four hours. I'm not going to get off on that topic. Work brings dignity. But that word work is where we get our word worship from. Adam, I want you to serve me. Adam, I've got some work for you to do. And when you do that work that I've given you to do, this should encourage you, stay-at-home moms, people that go to an office. When you do that work that I've encouraged you to do, it blesses you, but did you know it also blesses me? I don't think I've really ever recognized what the Bible says the very next thing after work. Adam, I want you to work this garden, but I also want you to watch over it. And so this week I was like, hold on just a second. If the earth is perfect, if there's no people around at this point, just Adam and the animals, Eve hasn't even showed up on the equa- in the equation at this point. If there's absolutely nobody else on earth, Adam is supposed to work the garden and watch over it. That phrase literally means, I need you to guard this garden, Adam. I started to ask this week, well, who, who's he guarding it from? because there's nobody else around to mess this thing up. So I started to dig a little bit into the research, started to examine what the theologians are saying. And do you know what most of them think that Adam is supposed to guard the garden against? Do you know who he's supposed to protect it from? Anybody want to take a guess? Himself. Adam I'm giving you a choice. Adam, I'm giving you a chance. Don't mess up this thing that I've made perfect. Adam, I need you to guard what I'm giving you, and I need you to guard yourself, Adam, because if stuff goes wrong, it will be exclusively, entirely, 100% your fault, Adam. So guard yourself, so that you don't walk by that tree too many times and start to decide, I think I wanna eat from this tree. Guard yourself, Adam, be very careful. And at this point, all of us should say, you know what? I know exactly what that feels like. Because I'm going along and everything is awesome. And then all of a sudden, I say something that I know it's gonna hurt somebody that I love. And I absolutely know I shouldn't say it, and it comes out of my mouth before I can even stop myself from saying it. I've just hurt somebody, and I said something that I should have never said. I knew I wasn't supposed to say it, and I did it anyway. I was going along and everything was great, and then I did something. I knew it was wrong. Everybody around me knew it was wrong, and it's my fault. I can't blame it on what's happening outside of me. It's entirely, completely my fault. And all of us probably recognize what this feels like. Why do I do that? Why do I say something to somebody that I love that I know is gonna hurt them? Why do I do something that I know is wrong and I do it anyway? And the truth is what comes out of our mouth, what our hands do, it all starts in our heart. So God is saying, Adam, I got a rule for you. It's only one rule. And I want you to be careful with this tree that's in the middle of the garden. Guard it, Adam, actually guard yourself around this tree or else there's already a serpent in the garden. And if you're not careful, you're going to stumble and the wages of sin is death. If you disobey Adam, you will die. You deserve to die. Heaven has some rules. And if you're thinking to yourself, life, perfect, a perfect existence would be no rules and I can do whatever I want. Well, let me uh, make this a little bit even more challenging for you. Heaven not only has rules, there's some responsibilities that Adam has while he's in heaven. These are beautiful, God-given responsibilities, but Adam has some responsibilities that he needs to take care of. The fact that God gives Adam rules is saying, this is what it looks like to be in perfect harmony with me, your creator. Would you say harmony with my creator? Now he's given him some responsibilities. This is what perfect harmony with creation, this earth that God created, looks like. Would you say harmony with, harmony with creation? Because here's what harmony with creation looks like from Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone, I'll make a helper corresponding to him now that word corresponding means like him similar to him you know kind of ministers to him and he ministers to that helper I will make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what the man would call it. Apparently, God gives Adam great authority, great responsibility here, and says, I'm going to sit back and watch what Adam names all of these animals. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found like him or corresponding to him. This is what the earth was like before anything was broken meaning there's no earthquakes, there's no tsunamis that wipe entire villages off of the face of the earth, and everybody drowns in an instant. This is perfection. I tend to believe that at this point in history, all animals are herbivores. They eat plants, and they all live together in perfect harmony with Adam. That means... Adam is hanging out in the garden, and God brings lions by and says, Adam, what do you want to call these these big cats? And Adam says, that looks like a lion to me. Okay, Adam, I'm going to let you name the lions. Adam brings a wolf by. What do you want to call this vicious dog? That looks like a wolf to me. Okay, we're going to call that thing a wolf. And if you heard me a couple of weeks ago, Adam, or God brings by the Tyrannosaurus Rex. What do you want to call this thing with freakishly small arms. That looks like a Tyrannosaurus Rex to me. Okay, that's a stupid name and really hard to say, but let's call it Tyrannosaurus Rex. And most theologians believe that all of those animals existed in harmony with each other and harmony with Adam. Now, parents in this room, you and you alone had the authority to give a name to your child And God, up to this point, has been giving the names. He calls that big ball of gas in the sky during the day sun. He calls those things that twinkle in the night stars. He calls this mountain and that ocean. But at this point, God gives some of his authority to Adam and says, Adam, I'm going to bring these animals by. And that thing with the really long neck, you decide what we're going to call it. And whatever you decide, that's what we're going to call it. Adam, I got some work for you to do in the garden. You're gonna need to watch over the garden, but I also have some responsibilities for you, Adam. And these responsibilities are awesome. They're blessings from God. Adam gets a chance to name everything. And at the end of this, all of the animals have paraded by, Adam has named everything. For those of you who are pet lovers out there, if you wanna know why we call it as a, a bird, a fish, a dog, a cat, it's because of Adam. You don't like the name, blame that on Adam. But at the end of the day, after all the animals pass by, after all the birds, all of the creatures that God has made on this earth pass by, it's pretty obvious to Adam and to God. There's still a relationship that's missing here. I've been reading some of the great philosophers and their views on government. They talked about humans and society. I've been reading Plato and Aristotle. I've been reading Montesquieu and I've been reading Machiavelli and all of them agree the greatest form of government on earth is impossible. The best government would be no government at all. Where there's no rules No responsibility where there's no taxes and there's no levies placed on people that live in a land. That would be paradise. All of the great minds in history who have looked at all of the governments all over the earth for all times have all said that would be heaven. The problem is there's no people on earth that are ungovernable. There's no society on earth where you don't have to place some rules. You don't have to put some restrictions. You don't have to put some responsibilities on people because people wreck it. If it was possible, people would wreck it. And because people wreck every society, all societies have a few rules. All societies have a few responsibilities. Often, those brilliant minds are just talking about what it looks like to be a citizen in a society, but I think they miss. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Adam, I'm giving you great authority, and I'm giving you lots of freedom, but it's not unlimited. There are some rules. There's some responsibilities, Adam, and I expect you to keep these responsibilities. Just do a few very simple things and everything else is free. Everything else is easy. And if you're sitting there and saying, I wish I lived in a world where there wasn't an earthquake that wiped 50,000 people off the planet in just a couple of minutes. I wish I lived in a world where there weren't tornadoes and snowstorms, where people were stranded for weeks or for months. I wish I lived in a world where harmony, nature was in harmony with itself, people were in harmony with, with itself. That world will only happen when God shows back up and fixes what was broken in Genesis chapter 3. That world is waiting for His people. God gives us harmony with our creator. He gives us harmony with creation. And then he creates the perfect relationship. He gives us harmony with other created people. Would you say harmony with others? That's what heaven would be like. Because here's when God creates a partner. Built especially for human relationships. Here's when God brings Eve into the equation. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 21 to the end of the chapter. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. And he slept. God took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said... This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. Pause for just a second. In the original language, Adam is actually citing poetry here. He's actually rhyming at this point. And the very first word out of Adam's mouth when he sees Eve is, wow, this one is awesome. This one looks like she corresponds with me. This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called out of man. That's what woman means, for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And by the way, the Bible makes it very clear. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Now, this is unashamedly a description of marriage. And when I do wedding ceremonies, I always talk about these verses that are on the screens. But marriage is the most intimate, it is the most challenging, it is the most powerful of all human relationships. So what we learn right now about marriage is true of you and your family. It's true of you and your friend. It's true of you and your boss at work or another schoolmate. It's true of all human relationships. Every wedding ceremony that I preside over, I ask God to come and to create a union. But this is the first and the only wedding ceremony. Literally, this is a wedding ceremony that God presides over. And God unites these two different people in perfect harmony. And Adam and Eve are the only couple in human history where there was no drama, at least for a period of time. Anybody else in this room say, I wish I had that kind of relationship with my best friend. I wish I had it with my wife. I wish I had it with my coworker, but it isn't like that at all. And ever since the sin entered into the equation, there's been problems. There's been drama in relationships. Did you know that even the perfect son of God had to deal with drama He had to deal with drama with his disciples. These guys were all over the map. He had to deal with drama with the crowds. He had to deal with drama with the religious leaders. He even had to deal with mama drama at least once. John chapter 2, when she tried to push him to go make some water and turn it into wine. Jesus himself had to deal with drama. So, of course, you and I are going to have to deal with drama. And it's going to happen over and over and over again until... There is no estrangement from God until the earth is back in perfect harmony, until there's no evil entering your heart or somebody else's heart and ruining this perfect harmony that God has created and designed people to live in. All of us have problems in relationships and all of us Bring the problems with us into relationships. Yeah, she did something that got on your nerves. Yeah, he said something that made you mad. But the truth is, you brought some drama. You brought some problems into the relationship because all of us have brokenness inside of us. Until God totally and completely heals us, we're all going to deal with this. And by the way, this is what real human harmony looks like. It's not 55 friends on Facebook. That's not human harmony. Human harmony takes time. Human harmony requires a level of commitment to one another. But the truth is, look up here for just a second. Human harmony is going to require you to get naked in front of somebody else. And I'm talking about emotionally and psychologically, not physically. And this is the moment, I promise you, when you let your guard down and start to get vulnerable, that somebody's going to hurt you. This is the moment where it's going to get hard. Because that surface level junk that you can do with 50 people, that's not real relationships. When you let your guard down and when you start to get honest, when you start to live Adam and Eve style, getting very vulnerable, very humble, very transparent with somebody else, it's going to get hard And it's going to hurt because all of us have been impacted by this disease that we call sin. And what the Bible is describing for us today is something far beyond working hard to be a better person. In fact, if we could work hard enough and be good boys and good girls, we would be able to create heaven on earth. That's never happened not going to happen until God steps in and supernaturally intervenes. In fact, what we're describing, I think is a miracle. It's when God does a miracle inside a man or a woman's heart and starts to fix what's wrong between them and others starts to fix what's wrong between them and nature, starts to fix what's wrong between them and their creator because he's fixing what's wrong on the inside. And then it spills over onto the outside. I got to give Ben Van Coller from South Africa great credit for telling me the story of Adrian Vlok. Adrian just died a few weeks ago in South Africa. Ben sent me a news article from 24 News about Adrian, Adrian just went through an incredible, in fact, a lot of people in South Africa say that's not possible. That's not the same man. See, Adrian used to be the minister of law and order in South Africa under apartheid. It was his job to separate the races and make sure that the blacks stayed over here and whites stayed over here and stayed in power and made sure that there was no encroachment between the two. Adrian did his job well. Adrian did what the South African government tasked him to do well. Adrian became really good at it. In fact, he would planned for bombing churches that were trying to undermine apartheid, this separation of the races. He worked on trying to eliminate, listen to this, tried to murder some of the priests that were trying to bring the races together. Adrian personally hurt and, and uh, did great harm to a lot of people in his country over a lifetime. And eventually, he was arrested and sent to prison for 10 years for planning to murder and the bombings of churches in South Africa. And then something crazy happened while he was in prison. God got a hold of his heart through other prisoners. And Adrian went through a radical transformation. Adrian started to develop harmony with other prisoners. Adrian started to develop harmony with a country that had radically changed under his eyes. You would not believe the stories of what happened to Adrian. And so the news started asking, is this the same guy? Because after he got out of prison, he went to the very people that he tried to murder, got on his knees and asked if he could wash their feet in a sign of repentance and sorrow. He invited one of the people that tried to kill him but went through this radical change by the Lord Jesus Christ to come live with Adrian, a black man who set up a business in Adrian's garage and started to fix furniture, and Adrian provided for his needs. Adrian started to spend his own money after he got out of prison, 77 years old, buying food, going into the townships, into the ghettos where people are unemployed and starving, and he just gave food out of his trunk for the last 10 years of his life. And the news said, this can't be the same man. There's no way that somebody who did what he did under apartheid could change this much. So they interviewed Adrian and they said, what's going on? And here's his reply to that interview. Adrian said, I have hurt people. I was hard. I was heartless I committed many sins against people. Then listen to these words. And now I believe, because the Lord Jesus Christ has changed me, that I have to do something to say that I'm sorry. It's not good enough just to say it with my words. I have to show that I'm sorry. And in this final news report, right before Adrian passed away, just a few weeks ago, he said, now that I am a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to show my faith, not just say it. And Adrian started to make such a difference that the whole country started saying that can't be the same guy. How could one man change that much? Adrian is an example of what it looks like when God moves in and puts harmony in the heart of people. And we live in this now but not yet heaven 1.5 era where there's still brokenness around us, brokenness between us and God, brokenness between us and nature, brokenness between us and other people. That brokenness is not going to go away until God restores paradise, until the new Jerusalem that's recorded for us in Revelation 21 and 22. But while we're here, we can have a little taste of that harmony. We can have a little glimpse of harmony on the inside. That is so incredible that it starts to spill over and create harmony on the outside of us. That's literally what Two Cities Church exists to do, to see God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God's will to be done in our neighborhoods like it is in heaven. That's what God's people are here on earth to do. And I want to leave you with a challenge. Maybe somebody is sitting there saying, I've made some messes in my life and I can't fix it. Most of the problems in my life are my fault, and I can't undo it. I need Jesus to change my heart the way that he changed Adrian's heart. That second bullet on the screen, that may refer to you right now. And if that's you, I want to pray for you in just a second. But for all of God's people, I know you can say with me, I want heaven here on earth. And I'm going to work this week to push back darkness And to make a difference right here in our community or around the world, wherever it is, I'm going to work this week to make an impact. So would you just bow your heads? Would you let me pray? We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.